Today we are continuing a series entitled James Faith Plus Action. And in this sermon series, of course, James has been telling us you can't just have faith, you need to have action to go along with your faith. And so today we're going to talk about the topic of true wisdom. In fact, this week I was reminded why this series in James is so important. I was talking with one of our staff members who shared about an experience he had when someone was doing some work for him. And as he began to talk with this person that was doing work for him, uh, they began to talk about um, kind of another, uh, I guess, business dealing that this staff member was in. And he happened to be in with this other third party, and this other third party happened to also be a minister. Uh, but the first guy that was doing the work for the staff member, as he talked about the conversation, he began to caution the staff member about this business dealing with this third party because he'd had some previous business dealings with him. Let me remind you, this was also a minister, okay? In fact, this one man who was doing the work for the staff member said, I really have a hard time trusting anyone, even ministers, and kind of mentioned this third party as one of the reasons. All right, remember, he was a minister, right? Now, when I hear stories like that, I know that breaks my heart because of all people, ministers should be the people who not only claim to have a faith, but live it out, right? Above all people, they should live that. In fact, I also read a, a recent Gallup poll where they rated the honesty and ethics of uh, different professions, all right? Listen to this poll. In this poll on rating professions or their honesty and ethics, only 45% of people rated ministers as high or very high in their honesty and ethics. Now, if you're a nurse this morning, I got good news for you. You are the top of the list. 85% of people believe that you are high or very highly ethical, right? Hey, Cheryl, you're going to clap for yourself. Is that right? None of us should be surprised that only 8% of politicians or members of Congress got a, a high or very high rating, right? But when I look at this, ministers only 45% rating of being high or very high in their ethics and their honesty. To me, there's something wrong with that picture. What do you think? Something wrong with that picture. Again, I share that story and that survey with you to remind you that we need the words of James. If there's something that Christians should be known by, it should be their ethics and it should be their honesty. That some of the works that James is encouraging us that we need as people of faith. Today, what I want us to see is that if we're going to act correctly, then one of the things that we must have in our life is wisdom. Now, to keep today's message in context, let me remind you of where we've been. As James wrote when we got to the end of chapter 2, James simply said these words. He says, faith without works is dead. In other words, if you say that you're a person of faith, but you don't have the works to back that up, he would say there's, there's something wrong with that, right? Because you need to have faith and you need to have works. Last week, we went on to see where immediately from there he went to say, I mean, not many of you should be teachers, we suppose, of God's word because you're going to be judged more strictly. In other words, for a person to claim to be a Christian, especially a teacher of God's word, God's going to hold you to a very high standard. And so he says, not many of you should propose to, to be teachers. He went on from there to get, then give a lesson about the tongue because if you're going to be a person of faith or especially teachers of God's word, you better be able to control the tongue. Amen. And that's what he said last week. And so then he moves from there to where we are going to be today, where he goes on to talk about a key to being a person of faith and especially a teacher of God's word is wisdom, all right? You need wisdom in your life. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? 
by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, James here asks a very relevant question, is it not? I mean, who is wise and understanding among you? Again, looking at the passage as a whole, we can say that James is asking this on two fronts. One front might be he's just asking, who is the wise person of faith, all right? Who, who uh, this person of faith is wise and understanding? Or we might say on a second, more specific front, he's wanting to know, who is the wise and understanding teacher among you? Uh, the question can be considered for either group of people, but the main thing we wanna know is this, who can help us or help me even understand the right thing to do? Whether that would be any person of faith or one of my spiritual teachers, how do I know who is wise and understanding and who is not? I think it's so important that we answer that question because if we answer that question, maybe we can even answer this question. How can I be wise and how can I be understanding? Because isn't that what we really wanna know? Don't we all wanna know how can I be wise? How can I be understanding in life? Well, James begins to answer the question and he answers it this way, all right? That a wise person has proper actions that are characterized by meekness. In other words, if we consider the proper actions first, I like one, what one commentator said about this where he talks about these proper actions. He put it this way, that wisdom is not measured in degrees, but in deeds, all right? Some people think that they are wise because of what they know. They might point to their level of education or maybe even their work experience, and they consider themselves wise because they have the proper degrees, but James mentions nothing about degrees, but rather he mentions their deeds. He says the wise person truly shows wisdom by the works he or she displays in proper conduct. You see, wisdom today, folks, is not something you can brag about. Wisdom is something you show, all right? If you wanna be a wise person, you don't brag about your wisdom. You show the wisdom in the way you live. I would also clarify this by saying that phrase, good conduct, would indicate an obedience to God. Chuck Swindoll, in fact, summed it up by saying it means to change or an inner willingness to obey God's word. In other words, wisdom displayed is not just any old deeds, all right? Not any old deeds will do. It is those proper deeds that are driven by obedience to God. And so do you wanna know who is wise among you? It's those people who have proper actions that are driven by the obedience of God. James also goes on to say that these deeds are characterized by meekness. And before you get carried away saying this, that that must mean a wise person is a weak person, you need to understand that the word used here to describe meekness, it means this, power under control. In fact, some have likened it to a spirited horse that has been tamed. And all we need to do in our midst is go back a couple of weeks here in Kentucky to the Kentucky Derby. And if you watch those horses, we would all agree those are very strong creatures, would we not? All right, but what have they been? They have been tamed. They've been brought under control. And so it is power that is under control. And so likewise, a person who is meek is not necessarily weak. That person is simply controlled. I'll put it to you this way. It is the right attitude to go with the right actions, okay? It's not just the right actions, but it's the, the right attitudes. And in fact, when I think about a person who displayed works in the meekness of wisdom as James described it, I have a tendency to think about Abraham Lincoln. 
I don't know if any of you recently saw the movie about his life, but when I look at Abraham Lincoln, here was a man who was imposing in his stature. He was tall. He had the office of the presidency in his background to, to say, I have power because I am the president. He was, though, fighting in our country for, you know, you know slavery to end slavery and, and, and all these things. And, and what, it, what happened, or if you look at his life, he seemed to deal with his enemies so well. In fact, if you read, I've read some books about the, the leadership of Abraham Lincoln. One of his philosophies was simply this, that you seek to make an enemy your friend, all right? That's how you deal with it. You don't just cut off an enemy. You seek to make that enemy your friend. He was trying to do the right thing, in other words, with meekness. Though he was a very powerful and imposing man, he could have imposed his will, but no, he did it in such a way where he was controlled in his attitude. So again, here's what James is saying that a wise person has proper actions that are characterized by meekness or strength under control. In fact, this morning, I want to ask you this question. Do you claim to be wise? Right. If so, I want to ask you this. Do your actions back it up? I mean, do you have the actions of wisdom that says, I'm seeking to obey God with my life and my, my life shows that? Also, I'm going to ask you this. Are, are, they, are those actions being carried out in meekness, okay? Do you have strength that's under control? Or are you saying, I, oh, yeah, I have wisdom and I, I have all I need, and you're just trying to bulldog your way in, and you're trying to power over people? If so, you've missed the mark because he says, listen, it's the right actions, but it's also with the right attitude, it's meekness. Now, let's dig a little further, though, because James continues on to help us understand wisdom by comparing false wisdom to true wisdom. Look at verses 14 through 16. James continues to write, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In these verses, James gives us a glimpse of false wisdom, and he first shows us that well, I'm going to call this the root of false wisdom. And you want to know what the root of false wisdom is? It is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. As he writes here, he talks about these things coming from the heart. And so here's what we need to note this morning, that we are all dealing with this battle. We all have a problem in our life with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. What are these? It's the internal desires that we have to have what we don't have and what others may have. And it's the desire that we have to be on top. In other words, we want what we think is best and we desire to be considered the best. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And because there is this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our lives, we will often look for ways to achieve these things and to justify our means of achieving these things, even if our actions are wrong. And what that leads to is one creating their own wisdom to guide life. Now, as I think of an example, here's what I want to do. I want to go back, in fact, in the beginning of the scriptures. Many of you know the first man, Adam, and the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And uh, as we look at their story, it'll show the prevalence of this problem, but I hope it's going to illustrate it more than anything else. And though I don't have time to read the whole story, but I want you to remember this. Satan came to Eve there in the garden, and she, he first came, Satan came first questioning God about what God had told them. And then they looked at this fruit that's in the garden, and he said, you know, are you really going to eat it if you die? And this is what he posed to, to Eve in Genesis 3, 5. He said, for God knows that when you eat of it, look at this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did Satan do here? Satan targeted the root of false wisdom. 
her jealousy and her selfish ambition. Satan wanted Eve to become jealous of God and then to have that selfish ambition to, to be like God. He was really tempting her to try and surpass God. And look at what that caused. It caused Eve to come up with her own wisdom. Look at the next verses, verses or verse six. This is what Eve did, all right? Hearing, tempted to that selfish ambition, she says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, okay, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it the fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate, all right? Do you see what happened here? Catch this, all right? Because of jealousy and selfish ambition, Eve's wisdom now became this. She came up with her own wisdom. Oh, this tree is good for food, so surely I should eat it. It's good for food, right? She looked at it and said, oh, it's a joy to the eyes, a delight to the eyes. So, oh, oh, yeah, I need to enjoy it. That's what God would want me to do. And she looked at it and said, this is going to make me wise. Oh, surely I should be wise. And so I'm going to take of it and eat it, all right? So she came up with her own wisdom. Do you catch that? Now, here's the problem. What was the problem with that? Does anybody know what the problem with that was? God had told her to what? Not eat. See, here's what God knows because he's wiser than us. He knew that the moment that they ate of that fruit, there were a lot of consequences that they didn't see. There'd be a lot of things that would happen if they ate of that that they weren't aware of. But what she did is she didn't listen to God anymore. What she did is I've came up with my own wisdom. Oh, it's good for food. I better eat it. I need the nourishment. All right, it's good to the eyes. Oh, it's a delight. It's gonna be a joy. I, I'm gonna eat it. It's gonna make me wise. Let me take it. It's the smart thing to do. And she did what God had told her not to do. She came up with her own wisdom and she did what she thought in that moment was right. Now, let's be honest and admit, we all do the same thing all the time, right? We come up with our own wisdom. Even though we might know that God has said something different, when we desire something or think something will help us advance in life, we often create our own wisdom. We say stuff like this, you know, it'll be okay if I lie on my resume just a little bit to get this job because I really deserve it and I would be really good at it. And if I get this job, I can help a lot of people. So it's not gonna hurt if I lie on my resume, right? I mean, I mean it's, okay for, it's okay if I'm a social drinker because if I'm a social drinker, it's gonna keep me in the good graces of my boss and it's a great way to make business context. And I don't make business context. I, I meet a lot of lost people when I'm drinking with them socially. It's a way for me to win them to the Lord. And so we say, oh, it's all right. I can be a social drinker, no, no big deal. Uh oh, you know, with the hard time I've been having lately, I know I don't have much money in the bank right now, but the hard time I've been having, surely I deserve to have this shopping trip. I deserve to go out and splurge on myself just a little bit, right? Because it's a hard time. And man, I, you know, I'll feel so much better if I go out and just shop for a little while. Right? We do it all the time. Or maybe the guy says, you know what, what's it going to hurt if I go have lunch with my old girlfriend from school? Oh, I know I'm married, but you know what, I, I know her better than anybody else. And she's just having a hard time right now. And I know that I am the perfect person to help her, right? So go out and have lunch with her. It, it, it's, I, I, don't, I don't care my, my wife doesn't want me to go. It's okay. I know I am just a person, right? I'm going to help her. Are y'all following me so far? All right, see what we do all the time, even though we know something is maybe not right or we know it's not appropriate, here's what we do. Because of our bitter jealousy, our selfish ambition, it'll cause us to create our own false wisdom. And so we even do those things that we may know is not right. And we need to be careful. And let's, let me tell you why we need to be careful because I want you to consider the reality of false wisdom. The reality of false wisdom is deceitful and dangerous. 
Okay, if you let false wisdom in your life, it's very deceitful. It's very dangerous. Look at the fact at the end of verse 14. He said, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, look at this, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, why did James say do not boast and be false to the truth? Because oftentimes when our jealousy and selfish ambition leads to false wisdom, we boast about knowing something that really in the end is untruth. Many times those who are living by false wisdom even claim to have a greater truth than others even though it's not true. We deceive ourselves. Let me give you an example. I would say for most of us in this room today, we would come to this agreement. We would agree, most of us in this room today, that abortion is wrong. Most of us here would accept the premise that life is created by God and that life should be protected. However, those who are proponents of abortion would claim a wisdom that says abortion is right because it is only right that a woman should control her own body, including having an abortion for any reason at all. They would even say that those who oppose abortion are just archaic in their thinking and they've not quite arrived yet. But once they arrive in their thinking, they'll come around and they boast about their position. They say that is why this is right. And they've never given any consideration to God's truth about life. See, they would be, as James would say, false to the truth. They have deceived themselves. They have fooled themselves. Or what even about this one? What about the believer who begins to date someone? The person they begin to date is someone they're attracted to, but they're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll look and they'll begin to say things like this. Well, I know they're not a believer, but I can, I can lead them to the Lord. I'm going to take them to church. They agreed to come to church with me if we started dating. And I'm going to lead them to the Lord. In fact, they'll look and say, you ought to be proud of me for reaching out this way because I'm seeking to bring somebody in the kingdom of God. And so even if it means I'm dating somebody who's not a believer, that's great. You ought to be proud. And they boast about a wisdom that said, this is the right thing to do, regardless of the fact that God says, do not be yoked together with a non-believer. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I could go on and on this morning with many different, many different examples, but here's what I want you to see. Many times what we do with our false wisdom, we begin to leave, live by it. We, we deceive ourselves, and it becomes very dangerous to our life because what we're doing is ignoring the truth of God. All right, And the reason it's so dangerous is because I want you to look at its origins. Look at verse 15 again. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is, look, earthly unspiritual, and what's that last word? Demonic. When James says this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, that really should say it all right there. It is clear what he means. He's clear that he means it's not from God. That should be enough for us to be warned because we're told in Psalm 111.10 this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. See, folks, listen, if wisdom doesn't start with God, it's not true wisdom at all. In fact, James makes it clear that wisdom is not from God, and thus false wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. In reality, those are some pretty harsh words, are they not? As I thought about it this week, I thought, man, those are some harsh words. To call something demonic, I mean, that, that, that is very hard. But James wants it very clear to all of us that false wisdom is dangerous, and if we were to consider the issues of our day that are not only controversial, but in many cases dangerous, here's what we'll discover, that they are all rooted in false wisdom. Whether that issue today be transgender bathrooms, sexual promiscuity, pornography, embezzlement, financial hardships, gossip, you name it, it is all rooted in false wisdom because they are, un, they are earth, uh, un, un, they're earthly, unspiritual, and they are demonic. And in case you think I'm exaggerating, look at what James says next. That is the result of this false wisdom 
He says the result is disorder and vile practice. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if there's anything that describes our times today, it seems to be that it's disorder in every vile practice. I don't know about you. I'm tired of turning on the TV and hearing that there's been another murder in Louisville last night. Have you? Are you? I'm tired of it. And everywhere I turn, I see this stuff. And, And why does that stuff exist? It exists because, all right, many of us in this world are living by false wisdom rather than the true wisdom of God. And it's bringing all that in our life. Now, let's not stop here, okay, because we need some hope, do we not? We need a little hope. And we also shouldn't stop because, listen, James doesn't stop. He goes on to speak then about true wisdom. He's talked a little bit about false wisdom, but let's let's talk about some true wisdom. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from where? Above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In fact, I want us to even pause on that first phrase, but the wisdom from above. That's where I want us to stop for a second because this is what it reminds us of. The root of true wisdom is God. If you want true wisdom, where do you go? God. In fact, remember what Josh Marlett shared a few weeks ago with us from chapter one. He said this, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given him. You see, the fact is this, folks, God wants to give us wisdom. He is not trying to make us guess in life. He wants to guide us, but we have to look to him. And if you look to God, let me tell you where it starts. It starts with your relationship with Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul wrote some great and relevant words in 1 Corinthians 1 when he said this, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Folks, hear me very clearly. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. See, I know this. As you look to Christ, as you grow in Christ, as you obey the Lord Jesus, you gain and grow in the wisdom of God. I'll know for me, here's the truth, I'm just confessing. I know for me that when it comes to being a husband, when I put Jesus Christ as the center of my life and my marriage, I became a much better and wiser husband. You hear me? When I put Jesus Christ, when I was going of my own wisdom, it wasn't going very well. But when I put Jesus Christ in the center, again, I became a much better husband, a much wiser husband, and I'm telling you, my home became a sweet place. When it comes to being a minister, here's what I know. When I let the center of my ministry be about Jesus Christ and nothing else, I'm a much wiser pastor. Okay. Today, in fact, I think why so many pastors are unwise in their dealings, here's the reality is many times it's about them and not about Christ. I'm saying that as a pastor, okay? I don't, I don't like to say that, but that's the truth. The reality, there's a lot of unwise pastors. And why? Because it's become about them and not about Christ. And here's what I knew. When I put Jesus Christ at the center and I say, Lord, it's about you. It's not about me. All right, I'm going to lift you up today. What I found, I'm much wiser and better. Okay. Let me go ahead and tell you, right? If it's about me, I'm not preaching this sermon today because it's pretty hard, is it not? Right? 
But what I want to know, when you lift up Christ, there's a lot of wisdom to be found, and he can truly guide us in our life. And so with you, I want you to understand, do you want true wisdom today? It, it begins with God, and most specifically, your relationship with Jesus Christ, because he wants to guide every aspect, all right? That is the wisdom from above. And even think about it, before I leave this part, this should make sense to us, because remember, where's all that false wisdom start? with that, that selfish ambition and all that stuff that's in our life, right? You know what that stuff's called, right? Anybody know what that stuff's called? Sin. Who came to deal with our sin problem? Jesus. We celebrated him this morning, right? And so, do you want to be wise? It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you should also remember this, that God's wisdom is also found in his scriptures, Okay. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise, look, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Then all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, here's what I know. There's no doubt that if you want to know what is wise, you should turn to the Scriptures. See, if you dig into these Scriptures, you know the first place, the first thing they're going to lead you to, if you read them in their entirety, you know first where they're going to lead you? They're going to lead you, as Timothy said, to a faith, a salvation in Jesus Christ. They'll lead you to the place where we said we have to start, right? Are you with me? But then it also says there that it's able to teach. It's correct. It trains in righteousness that I may be equipped for every good work. This Scripture, look, will we'll guide you in every direction. In fact, let me give you a challenge, okay? If you're considering something, you're saying, God, I need some wisdom in this area, or maybe you're involved in something and you wanna know, God, is this wise? Here's what I would challenge you to do, to dig into scripture and ask God the question. God, what am I doing? What I'm doing, is it right? Or God, what, am I, what I'm contemplating doing, is it right? And if you dig into this word and it contradicts what you're doing or what you're thinking about doing, here's my word of advice. Don't do it because God said it's not, right, it's not wise. It's not the right thing to do. You hear what I'm saying? And some of us even here this morning would say, well, well, Brother Scott, I know that. I've heard that many times before. Let me ask you a question. We say that this can make us wise. I wonder how many here this morning, don't raise your hand, don't do anything. I wonder how many this week since last Sunday picked up God's word and opened it up and read it and said, God, give me direction. Unfortunately, many of us are gonna say no. And we say, oh, we believe that to be true, but we don't even read God's word to find his wisdom. I'm gonna tell you, here's where it's at. It starts with Jesus Christ, and then we dig into his word, we can find wisdom. Let me give you one other thing, all right? Also, godly people who love the Lord and have a love for his word can also be a source of wisdom for you. Psalm 37, 30 says this, the mouth of the righteous utters what? Wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. Keep this in mind. If you have a person in your life who is godly, you should listen to his or her advice. If that godly person warns you that your actions are inappropriate or, or wrong or unwise, then listen. For a truly godly person has no other motive than seeing you please God, and they can help you overcome that bitter jealousy and that selfish ambition that can deceive you and lead to false wisdom. So listen to those godly people in, their, in your life. Their mouths will utter wisdom. Now, if you will tap into the root of true wisdom, you'll discover the reality of true wisdom, which is this purity and much more. All right. Uh, look at verse 17 in its entirety. It says, but the wisdom from above is first, what? Pure. Then look at this, then peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. Now, I don't have time to go through these in detail today. That'd be another whole sermon. Y'all want lunch here shortly, right? So let's very quickly, let's look at the reality of true wisdom. First of all, it's pure. Pure is most likely not just first in the list, but it's first in importance because pure means this, freedom, free from defilement. It is clean. It carries with it the idea of both a moral cleanliness, but also a purity of motives. There's no hidden agenda down deep inside. There's no hidden agenda. And one is pure and truly desiring only to know God and his perfect will. Considering this definition, it's no wonder that Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, too often the reason we don't see God or have a hard time exercising wisdom in our lives is because we haven't become pure before God. We have brought ulterior motives or we have brought moral impurity to God. And he is wanting us to come pure so that we might truly hear him. What some of us need to do today is come before God, confess our sin, coming to God saying, Lord, I don't have any other agenda. I don't have any, any ulterior motive other than God. I want to hear from you. And if you'll come pure before God, I will guarantee you God will pour his wisdom down upon you. Because first of all, this wisdom is pure. Notice that it's also peaceable. Wisdom will lead us to peace with God and to peace with others. It is also gentle. The Greek word used there for gentle is, I don't know if I'll say it's exact right, but epicase. And it can be hard to explain, but William Barclay explained it this way. I love this definition. He says, the man who is epicase, gentle, all right, is the man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. He knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. He knows how to make allowances when not to stand upon his rights how to temper justice with mercy. Also remembers that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. Wisdom, gentle. All right, that's a good, that's a good word in there, right there. Isn't that good? Y'all still with me this morning? I hope so, okay. True wisdom is, is also open to reason. A person of wisdom is easy to work with. Y'all hear that? Easy to work with and is willing to give serious thought to an opinion that differs without feeling threatened or getting angry. Does that describe y'all? It's full of mercy. We might say controlled by compassionate concern. And since this is coupled with good fruits in our scripture, wisdom has the actions that naturally flow from mercy. In other words, do people see you as a person full of mercy? Then wisdom is impartial, the word really means without uncertainty or undivided. When you have true wisdom, you will act according to strict scriptural principles regardless of the situation. You are not uncertain, right? And last, it says true wisdom is sincere. It's never two-faced. It's not phony. And much could be said about each of these, but do you get the point? And my hope is this that you would desire true wisdom. Say, that's what I want to describe your life. I want to describe my life. Now, now look what happens if you have true wisdom. The result of true wisdom is a harvest of righteousness. Look at James 3, 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's what I know is the scripture teaches this, is that when you live by God's wisdom, you sow to righteousness. In this particular verse, James most likely is helping us to, to understand that when we live by God's true wisdom, it has a positive effect on our relationships with others, resulting in peace. Folks, in other words, hear me. 
Things go better with others when we live by God's standards. All right? Can I say that again? In general, when you live by, by or things go better with others when we live by God's standards. In general, when you live by true wisdom, people will look at your life differently and see it as righteous and, in fact, admire the way you live. All right? Y'all, y'all have that? Now, here's what I know. Y'all want to go to lunch, right? So, like I said, I could give you another whole sermon on that last part, but here's what I want to do. As I've shared this message, here's maybe what some of you realized along the way. Some of you said, well, I realize that I'm not living by true wisdom in some area of my life, okay? If that's the case, here's what I want. If that's the case, don't let this sermon condemn you, which it could. Amen? That's not what I want. That's not my desire. It could. I don't want it to condemn you. Here's what I want it to do. I want it to convict you. There's a difference. I want it to convict you where you would look and say, here's my desire that you would say, I want to be a catalyst, all right, in this world for wisdom. And you would say this, I want to live by the true wisdom of God. That would have been my desire. If living by true wisdom becomes your desire, um, here's what you do this morning. You begin right now seeking God's wisdom and live by it. Do you know this? You cannot go back and redo the past. I will make you raise your hand on this one. How many of you would look in the past and say, there's been a time in my life where I made an unwise decision? Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see. All right, don't be ashamed. That way everybody knows we're in the same boat, right? There's a time or two that I've made an unwise decision. All right, hear me. Can you go back and change that? No. Don't go back and try to change it. Here's what I'm saying. Right now, let it be your determination to say, from this point forward, I am going to live by the wisdom of God. And if you will do that, I know what it's going to start for you this morning. It's going to start as you seek God. Again, maybe some of you here in a moment, we have an invitation for you to come and say, I know I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. And you would come and give your heart to him. That's where true wisdom begins. Maybe it's others for you to come and just make a commitment to say, God, I want to know your word because I know wisdom is found here. Maybe others just to come and say, Lord, surround me with those godly people who pour wisdom in my life because I need help on this journey but you're going to seek those folks who will speak the truth to you of God, not just what the world says, but the truth of God. You're going to seek them and say, God, I want you to guide me. And what I know is this, that if you'll come and you'll seek God's wisdom, you begin to live by it, you, your life will be blessed. And not only you're blessed, okay, the world will be blessed. And especially those that you're around every day will be blessed because of the positive way you live under the wisdom of God. And so here's my prayer for you today. My prayer for you is you be prepared to leave this place living on true wisdom, not the false wisdom of the world. Will you pray with me, Father? As we come to you during this time, Father, of prayer, and as we get ready for an invitation, Lord, I know I make the personal confession myself that I have this tendency to be driven by that selfish ambition that we talked about at the beginning. That, Father, I know in my own life there are things that tempt me to, to make things even about me. And so, Father, I have a tendency to seek for things that, that back up my opinion and to back up, Father, what I want to do. So, Father, I'm asking forgiveness of that and I'm asking help, Father, to overcome that. 
And Father, it's not just in me, but for all here today, I, I pray the same because my guess is, Lord, together as a congregation, we would come to you and say, Father, that's us. We have this tendency to live by false wisdom. But Father, today, I'm thankful for your word that reminds us that there's a better way, that your word reminds us that true wisdom can be found, and above all, that true wisdom comes from above. And so, Father, today, as we come to this invitation, I pray that we'll be a people that is seeking wisdom from above. And, Father, we know that starts with Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this invitation, Father, I pray that you'll lead us to, uh, to the wise thing to do. For some, again, to give their life to Jesus. For others, maybe just to come to this altar and kneel before you, seeking your wisdom on a matter or a situation. Father, that they would just kneel and cry out to you and say, God, please guide me. And then, Father, they would be open to your word and those godly people in their lives as they make a decision, Lord, seeking again to please you. So bless this time, I pray. Father, we just, again, as always, hand this invitation to your hands. I just pray truly you'll speak and we'll listen in Jesus' name. Amen.